Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. You can clap. I know sometimes in church you're not sure if you should or not, you know. Is that going to be sacrilegious? But uh, you can clap and you can encourage those who put time into putting something together for us. That isn't me just prepping you for my message, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, feel free. Feel free. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your uh, presence here tonight, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. And God, um, thank you for how you've been speaking to us already. Thank you, God, for um, your message in the life of Anjay, God. And I just thank you for his incredible humility and love um, and example to us um, of fatherhood. And God, I just ask that tonight that as I share that you would also speak to us of your goodness and what you are like as a father. Amen. I have never, Anjay, just for the record, ever thought that you struggled with humility, by the way. The only time I've seen you proud is when it's about one of your kids and Poland. So Father's Day today, I just want to acknowledge uh, from the top is a bit of a mixed day for, for a lot of us. There's some really great things about Father's Day. Um, I have four beautiful children and Father's Day is a lot of fun because I get great presents and I get breakfast in bed and I get to watch the football without any sense of guilt or that I should be doing anything else or unstacking a dishwasher or anything like that. And I cleaned up this morning. I got, I'm not cleaned up figuratively. I didn't touch a thing. It's Father's Day. But I cleaned up with gifts. I got all sorts of things for my desk at work and for camping and for our next trip away. And I also got a Newcastle Knights huge big mug uh, that, I can, uh, that I can drink from um, and without any sense of shame and embarrassment for the first time in 20 years. <clears throat> I also know that uh, Father's Day is a difficult day as well for a lot of people, that it brings up a whole lot of um, pain and hurt, trauma and loss. Uh, and for some, it's, it's actually both at the same time. So for me, it's a great sense of joy because of my children, but it's also a sad day because I lost my father five years ago. And so I just want to acknowledge that as I share today that Father's Day is complicated and that as we talk about fathers, there's going to be a whole bunch of different experiences and different feelings that we're all going to have in that, in that conversation. But today what is on my heart to share is I would love to draw your attention to the father you have in heaven. And particularly, I want to look at one aspect of his goodness. I want to look at his faithfulness today. Today I want to talk about God's faithfulness. So if you've had a, a good father or have a good father, faithfulness has got to be at the top of the list of some of his attributes. A good father is faithful. A good father faithfully turns up every week in his best puffer jacket on the sideline of his kid's sports game. A good father faithfully mows your lawn when you are busy looking after your own kids. A good father or father figure or mentor faithfully checks up on you regularly. A good father is faithful, and their faithfulness is a tremendous blessing to everyone that it touches. Faithful fathers are a blessing to their children. Faithful fathers are a blessing to their wives. 
They are a blessing to their families, they're a blessing to their workplace, and they're a blessing to their community. Faithfulness is a blessing to everyone that it touches. Outside Shibuya train station in Tokyo, there's a small statue that everyone likes to go and have their photo beside. And that statue is not of a famous person, but of a famous dog. A little dog called Hachiko. Now, Hachiko was a little dog that lived about a hundred years ago. And he was the pet of a university professor who used to catch the train into work from Shibuya train station into uh, the university every day. And his little dog, Hachiko, would come with him, walk with him to the train station, sit on the platform, have a goodbye pat, then watch his uh, master go. Then Hachiko would walk back home. And then at the time of the afternoon when his master's train would return, he would trot back faithfully to the same platform, sit there and wait so that when his master stepped off the train, there was his dog. Now, he did this every single day, except one day, tragically, while giving a lecture at work, his master suffered a stroke, died and never returned home. Gets worse. That afternoon, Hachiko waited at the train station like he did every day. And he waited until dark for his master to return before sadly trotting off home alone. And the next day, at the same time of the afternoon that his master would return home from work, he trotted back to the train station, sat on the platform and waited. And again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, for nine years, this dog waited patiently at the platform each afternoon for his master to return, right until the day he died. Now, the people of Japan were so moved by this little dog that he has become a national treasure. So much so, his body is taxidermied and is on display in the National Museum of Science and Nature in Ueno in Tokyo. You can go visit him. He's not moving anymore. Now, every year at Shibuya Station, there's also a ceremony to honour this little dog. Multiple statues have been built in his honour, books have been written about him, and movies have been made about Hachiko. You can look them up if you like. The most recent adaptation stars Richard Gere. Yeah, Richard Gere playing a Japanese professor. Now, this sort of thing would never happen with a cat. I mean, imagine if the professor owned a cat. Uh, the cat wouldn't have bothered collecting him to start with, and if he did, he would have gone once, and then if the professor didn't return home, he would have moved on. <laughs> I had a pet cat that moved on from me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Who would have thought? Found someone who fed her whiskers instead of the Bilo brand of cat food that we had at home, and just moved on. Cats aren't faithful. Cats are apex predators shrunk to miniature. And if they were any bigger, they would kill you. And then they would bat your body around the living room floor for half an hour before getting bored and moving on. <laughs> Cats are great, but they're not faithful, okay? Dogs capture our imagination because dogs are faithful, like little Hachiko. There's something about faithfulness that captures our hearts. There's something special about it. Faithfulness is special. 
and it's a blessing to those around it. Now, the Bible is full of people who were faithful. There are those who are faithful in their relationship with God, people like Abraham, Moses, Deborah, Josiah, Esther, Jeremiah. They're not perfect people by any stretch, but they continued to commit themselves to pursuing their relationship with God. They were faithful. They kept on at it. They kept on following after him. There are also plenty of people in the Bible who are faithful to each other in their friendships and their relationships, like David and Jonathan or Ruth and Naomi. Again, they weren't perfect, but they were committed to each other and faithful. Now, one of the most famous faithful characters in the Bible uh, would be Abraham. And we're going to take a bit of a look at Abraham and look at the impact that his faithfulness had on those around him. Now, you can read about Abraham in the book of Genesis, which is easy to find. It's the first book in the Bible. And his story takes up a fair bit of airtime. It goes from chapter 11 to chapter 25. Now, Abraham was from a place called Ur, which was in modern day Iraq. And it was a bit of a thriving city. It had a ginormous ziggurat there, which the ruins of which you can go and visit. If you can get into Iraq, that is, you can go and visit the ruins of this giant ziggurat, which was like a big pyramid. It was a thriving city, and he was uh, quite prosperous there. He lived there with his extended family. He didn't have any children of his own, but he was comfortable and wealthy. But then at the age of 75, God asked him to leave Ur and to travel to Canaan in modern-day Israel so that God could give him a family and make a nation out of his descendants. And amazingly, at 75 years old, Abraham went. He just packed up everything and went. And then for 25 years, Abraham lived in tents and wandered around the land of Canaan. And for 25 years, he had no kids. There was no city no descendants, and definitely no nation. And Abraham made some strange decisions in that time. He wasn't perfect by any stretch. He let his wife go off and live with local kings for a little bit, and and he had this thing where he slept with his wife's servant, Hagar, and had a child with her. He didn't get it right all the time, but despite all this, Abraham continued to commit himself to God, and he remained faithful to what God had promised that he would do. God had asked him to move and promised him a family, and Abraham held on to this. He didn't give up, and he was faithful. Now, faithfulness is a wonderful thing. And for those of you who have had faithful fathers or father figures, you would know this. Faithfulness often leads to great blessing. And the growth and fulfillment of things that wouldn't have occurred if someone hadn't have been faithful. Marriages are made. Buildings are built. Sorrow is overcome. Books are written. Faithfulness can lead to so many great things. Faithfulness also provides a bedrock or a foundation of strength and peace to the people that it affects. And many of these blessings we can see and read about in the life of Abraham in Genesis. Abraham lived in peace. Abraham was a source of blessing to every country that he lived in. And from Abraham did come a nation. And from that nation came the saviour of the world, Jesus. Abraham's faithfulness led to a great many things. Faithfulness can also inspire the people around it. When someone's faithful, it inspires others to have faith too. And in the story of Abraham, we also see this. His faithfulness encouraged his wife, Sarah, to have faith in God's promise as well. 
and his faithful, faithfulness also encouraged his son Isaac to have faith. Isaac, who was born to him when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Abraham's faithfulness to God encouraged Isaac to have faith and trust in God too. I want to take a moment now just to look at one story in Abraham's life. And we're going to look at a difficult one, but let's, let's give it a go anyway, okay? It's a difficult one because it's the story of Genesis 22 where God tests Abraham's faithfulness by asking him to go on top of a mountain and sacrifice his son Isaac to him. Now, generally a verse about a dad trying to kill his kid isn't the one we normally share on Father's Day. But nevertheless, that's where we've landed. And there's never really a great time to look at difficult scriptures, so let's just look at it. Now, I'm not a Bible professor, but we're going to take some time to have a bit of a look at this particular story and see what it says about Abraham's faithfulness. Okay, first of all, human sacrifice is not okay. (laughs) Just thought I'd put that out there straight away. If you're new to church, human sacrifice is not okay. And, uh, and if you actually read the context of, uh, of the, um, the Old Testament, you will see that God's quite strongly against this sort of thing. And believe it or not, this uh, sort of uh, practice was pretty common in the religions of the time, and particularly in the religions of Canaan. There's a lot of archaeological evidence, which you can look into this, which is pretty grim and pretty horrific, which talks about this practice. God was not okay with this, and there's plenty of times in the Old Testament where he speaks out pretty clearly against it. But here we are in Genesis 22 with God asking Abraham to do something which sounds contrary to what he would normally be, uh, think is okay. Now, I actually have a suspicion that Abraham actually knew that this was a bit of a test. Because when on their way up the mountain, Isaac asks Abraham where the animal for the sacrifice is, Abraham answers that God will provide it, which is an unusual answer. Abraham took the wood, we read in verse 6 of chapter 22, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them went on together. It seems like Abraham was trusting that God wasn't actually going to get him to sacrifice Isaac. It seems like somewhere he knew that this might have been a bit of a test. Now, this is just my opinion. Um, There's something else that's interesting here as well. And that is that Isaac is talking. So he's clearly not an infant. He's not a baby. And he's also carrying all of the wood for the fire on his back. So he's clearly not a little boy. He's also been walking for three days with wood on his back while his old dad is hobbling along with a torch and a knife. Now, most Bible scholars would agree that Isaac is probably a young man in this story. And enough of them think that he was in his 30s. Now, if my dad was 100 and something years old and took me up a mountain to burn me on a bonfire, there is no way that he could make me. No way. When I was in my early 30s, I was in my prime. I was strong, fit, handsome. It was all happening. 
I was in my prime in my early 30s, and if my 100-something-year-old dad tried to tie me up to a bonfire, I can tell you I would have busted on out of there. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> I would have. Uh, made a few phone calls about dad, I think. So why did Isaac let him do it? Why did he let him do it? Well, I think that Isaac knew that something was going on too. I do. See, Isaac's dad had been faithful to this good God. And Isaac had seen through his dad that this God was actually a good God, a good and faithful God. And as a result of Abraham's faithfulness, I believe that Isaac had been inspired to have faith too. And I believe that he trusted that God was good and that he probably wasn't going to end up dead that day. Abraham's faithfulness had inspired faith in Isaac so that both of them believed that God would provide for the sacrifice, even if it came at the last minute, which it did in the form of some poor lamb that got his head stuck in a thorn bush. Now, Abraham's faithfulness inspired faith in Isaac because faithfulness inspires faith in those around it. Just a couple of other collide notes here before I leave this story alone, okay? I think there was another reason why God ran through this exercise. You see, even back then, God had started a plan to fix the sin and pain of the world. Because back then, God had Jesus' resurrection in mind and had set things in motion so that that could happen. And this whole exercise is not just a test of Abraham and Isaac's faith, but also it acts as a preview of what God was going to do to save us so that when Jesus arrived, we would be sure that he was who he said he was and did what he said that he would do. Because 1,500 years later after this incident, another young man in his 30s would climb near the same hill and he too would have the wood for his death tied to his back. And he too would have the power to escape, but would go ahead with it because of his faith in his father and in his God. And on that hill 1,500 years later, not one life, but millions of lives would be spared. Abraham and Isaac had no idea that what they were doing was a sign that was this accurate and this perfect about how God was going to save us. At that point, all that they knew was that God was good so Abraham was faithful, and his faithfulness inspired faith in Isaac. And out of his faithfulness, God brought one who saved the world. There are so many examples in history of one person's faithfulness inspiring faith in others. There are so many examples of God doing incredible things out of someone's faithfulness. That's the effect faithfulness has. I'm going to share an example from the footy. Unfortunately, it doesn't involve the Knights because I'd have to go back a long, long time to find anything from the Knights. This one uh, is about the NRL Grand Final of 2015, um, which was played between the North Queensland Boys and the Brisbane Broncos. Anyone watch this one? <coughs> I don't involve two Queensland time teams, and I know that's difficult to talk about at times. But anyway, the match uh, was interesting because it was the first Auckland Grand Final, and Brisbane were actually going for their seventh premiership. The Cowboys were going for their first, and the match was a tight one. And with seconds to go, the Broncos were up by four points. Um, and literally with seconds to go, the Cowboys uh, spread it wide, 
and there was a miracle pass from uh, Michael Morgan, their 5'8", and the ball landed in Carl Felt's arms who touched the ball down right in the, in the corner. Like literally if he was a, a, a smidgen the other way, would have been out. He scored a try right on the buzzer to level the game. So now, if you follow uh, rugby league, what happens after you score a try is you get to kick a conversion, right, from where the ball was put down. And so the Cowboys star player, um, Jonathan Thurston, now had this opportunity to win the match from the sideline with the conversion kick. And just before he lined it up, his co-captain, forward Matt Scott, came over to him and said this, to this effect. (laughs) I had to translate some of the language. Whether you kick this goal or not, we've got this. We're going to win the final. So Thurston lined up the ball, kicked it, and the ball curved beautifully towards the posts and then curved away, hit the post, bounced off the upright, missed. The game goes into extra time. But in a few minutes of extra time, Thurston gets his chance again and he kicks a field goal from 20 minute, 20 metres in front of the Broncos line and the Cowboys win their first ever premiership. And I reckon that Thurston's kick uh, was inspired by the faith that his captain had in him and in the result. See, when someone is faithful to what they believe, is faithful to the relationships around them, it inspires those around them to have faith too. If you want to encourage the faith of those around you, commit to be faithful to what you believe. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Be faithful to the people that God has put in your life. Your faithfulness can inspire faith in those around you. I don't play football. Shocking, I know. You'd look at me and think, surely, surely he plays rugby league. No, with a build like mine and growing up in Newcastle in the 90s, I learned to run. And I'm a good runner. I like to run long distances. And I've been running long distances, surprisingly, since I was in primary school. And, uh, and last year, I, I finally got around to um, going in a marathon because I've always wanted to do that and I've never got around to it because I just, I just run for fun. I've never really gone in races and things. So anyway, so I, I decided I'd do that. So I followed a training schedule and I got the good running shoes and um, I got the really trendy belt that you stick the, you know, the, the drinks in and, and the gels that look like little baby food that you, while you're running. Yeah, I looked legit. <laughs> and, I, and I practiced with this and, uh, and then race day came around and I was, I was ready to go. I had crushed training, I was ready. I had all the gear and I was ready. And for the first half of that marathon, I crushed it. I just crushed it. I was zooming past people left, right and centre. I was feeling great. I was running faster than I had in training. The reality was that I was running on adrenaline for the first 90 minutes of the race and my excitement had actually thrown off my rhythm and by the time it got to halfway, I was done. And I still had 21 kilometres to go. My legs were burning and all I wanted to do was sit down and cry. And it took every bit of mental effort I had to keep shuffling my feet along and finishing that stupid race. (laughs) Now, one by one, most of the runners that I had gone past uh, started to come past me. 
Uh, and each time I'd see someone coming, I tried to power up my legs just to, no, no, I want to I wanna beat them. And then I, I did see out of the corner of my eye at one point after a whole bunch of people had gone past me, I saw an older gentleman start to shuffle up. He would have been in his 60s, I think. And I saw him start to shuffle up and I thought, no, come on, legs, <laughs> come on, you can do it. But nothing was coming and I was still just shuffling along and he shuffled on past me with a little smirk on his face. And just as he went past, he went, gotcha. <laughs> and there's nothing more demoralizing than having someone who's a lot older than you say, gotcha. And then everything in you wants to chase them, but you can't and they're only going this fast. <laughs> you can't get them. Oh. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt hopeless or defeated like this, okay? Maybe it wasn't in running, maybe it was something else where you felt hopeless and defeated. Like, no matter how hard you try, you just can't catch up, you just can't do it. Who you want to be, maybe, is just that little bit too far ahead, like that old guy shuffling away, you just can't catch them. And look, maybe all this talk of faithfulness tonight might have you feeling a bit like that. Maybe, uh, maybe you've never known a father or father figure who was faithful. And so this all just feels like it's a bit sort of beyond you. Or maybe it's that you hear these stories of faithfulness and you hear about the blessings of being faithful. And despite your desire to be more faithful, all you can feel is defeated when you think of how unfaithful you have been. Well, let me encourage you. You know how at the beginning I said that faithfulness brings great blessing to those around it, right? how it sees the fulfillment of great things, how it provides peace and stability, how I said that faithfulness inspires those around us to be full of faith. Remember how I said all that? Well, here's the good news. You have a father who is faithful. God in heaven is your father. And because you have a father who is faithful, you are the one who can see the fulfillment of incredible things in your life. You are the one who can live in an atmosphere of peace and stability. And you are the one who can be inspired to be full of faith because you live in the shadow of a father who has and is and always will be faithful. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says this about our God and Father. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions or mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. That is your God and that is your heavenly Father. His love and his mercy never fails. His mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It's like the old hymn by Thomas Chisholm says, Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. A faithfulness that you can count on. A faithfulness to inspire you. A faithfulness that, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, is not dependent on how faithful you are. Because if we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful. So this Father's Day, what I want to do 
is offer you something far greater than a pair of socks or a tie or even a Newcastle Knights mug. I want to offer you the privilege of having a father in heaven who has been and always will be faithful. A father who does not give up hope. A father who sees the way through when there looks like there is no way. And a father who is faithful to you and to his word and always will be. And who knows, maybe living in the shadow of a father as faithful as that will inspire a bit of faith of your own too. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are our Father and that you are a faithful Father and a faithful God. Lord, this evening, as this Father's Day comes to a close, we acknowledge that our experience of fatherhood here on earth is a mixed bag. But I thank you, God, that the experience of a Father that we have in heaven is a good one, that you are a good and faithful Father. And I thank you, Lord, for all of the goodness that comes from having a faithful Father, for the stability and peace that comes from you, from the fulfillment of incredible things in our lives because you're faithful, and from the faith that it's inspired by having you as a faithful Father. Lord, I just ask that tonight we would gain a greater revelation of what a faithful, good Father you are. And thank you that we have you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.